You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about my growler, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. From the kickoff to the shootout, we're amped up, we're ramped up, for a breakaway from a set play. Hello, yes, and welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I'm your host, Ian Lamberson, with me for the second time in a row, uh, filling in for Harrison Crow. Um, writer for American Soccer Analysis, Stars and Stripes FC, and uh, Union Do. Uh, say hello again to Jared Young. Hi, Jared. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Ian. It's good to be back again. Yeah, 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 yeah. It went, it went so well last time that, that we thought, why not just do the exact same show again? And uh, it's gotten us through a lot. You know, just, just find what works and keep going. Just doing what we do. That's right. Uh, as we are recording this right now, we do have a couple of matches in progress. Uh, so um, Seattle currently uh, hanging on to a 2-1 lead in Toronto, and I believe Chicago and Montreal are tied 0-0 at halftime. Um, so yeah, so if anything exciting happens in there and you hear me react, uh, that will be because of that. But uh, let's go ahead and uh, get started this week as we do every week, our interesting side of the week. And I thought this week... Let's talk about through balls. And I find through balls to be kind of an interesting thing because one of the things I noticed when I actually started looking into these a couple of years ago was that they aren't very common. And I think that a lot of people that play uh, FIFA, you know, just know that as one of the main buttons you press. You hit that wire, that triangle, and it makes a through ball. And like that's mainly how you move the ball. And so I kind of, when I saw that just how few were being done, I thought that was kind of interesting. So, um, I was using who scored to kind of track these stats uh, and they define a through ball as um, this. It's an attempted uh, or accurate pass between opposition players in their defensive line to find an onrushing teammate and in parentheses, they write running through on goal. So that's awfully specific. Um, and I think that it's kind of a, 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 that's why maybe we don't see a lot of them. We see a lot of like through ish balls that don't quite meet, meet that, um, two-player kind of, I guess, criteria or caveat in there. But anyway, on to our interesting stats here. Uh, LAFC have the most through-ball key passes. That's a through-ball that winds up with a shot on goal on the other end of it uh, with 11 this year, and that's actually a lot. And there were 10 teams last year um, that didn't get that for the entire season. Um, the best individual through-ball key pass leaders were uh, Federico Higain and Maxi Morales, who had seven. And this year we have Carlos Vela, uh, Higayin again, and Roland Lamar, which I, surprised me, four. Um, and then right behind them with three is Piatti. And what was really interesting this week in our interesting side of the week was just Piatti, Piatti got two of his uh, in last week's match against New England. Montreal overall in that game attempted a mind-blowing 11, which is the most of any team uh, in MLS since 2015. Uh, when NYCFC tried 12 against DC United. And uh, Montreal also set a new high since 2015 with eight successful through balls. Uh, there were 17 through balls this weekend attempted by all the teams in all the games, and Montreal had 11 of them. I don't know what any of this means. Um, beyond uh, Ignacio Piatti was just in like the most Ignacio Piatti of form. Uh, but that, that is our interesting stat of the week. 
That is, I think, a very interesting stat. I mean, you don't see outliers like that very often, especially from a team. Yeah, especially from a team like Montreal, which is kind of, I guess, set up more to counterattack, but uh, and therefore there might be some more through balls. But uh, eleven is still kind of an outrageous number. I did some more research, uh, at least looking at last year's stats. And mm-hmm. So, so last year there were. A little over 1,100 goals in MLS, but only 479 through balls attempted. So your, so your point of rarity there, less, they happen less than half as frequently as goals are scored. Hmm. <clears throat> 62% of those uh, passes were actually completed, which is higher than I thought it would be. So 298 through balls were completed. Uh, for League average on pass completion rate, 76%. So it's definitely a lower percentage pass, as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's also pretty rare. So one other thing that's interesting is I actually looked at, is there an advantage to a team having more through balls than their opponent? Like we, we saw that Montreal had 11 and they won. Is that, is there anything to that? Or was that mm-hmm. just pure, was, was that pure luck? So I looked at all the games in 2017 and um this wouldn't shock anybody, but the away team wins 20% of the time. There's a draw 24% of the time, and the, and the home team uh, wins 56% of the time. But if the away team attempts more through balls, they actually win 33% of the time. Um, yeah, if the home team attempts more through balls, the away team wins only 11% of the time. So the away team attempting more through balls triples their chance of winning uh, compared to if the home team has more through balls. I thought that was pretty interesting statistic. Now, is this, yeah, go ahead. Do you think, is this like a, a function of just counterattacking? It could, yeah, it, it certainly could be. I, that would be a really interesting thing to look at as, uh, in a, and as we learn more about, you know, possession chains and sequences, that would be something to, to analyze. I mean, you got to be careful here. I wouldn't say that that's causal. Like you, sh- mm-hmm. you shouldn't go out. You shouldn't go out and just attempt more through balls, um, and, <laughs> and expect to win. Yeah. It's. I think it's it's more signifying that a team probably has a creative central player um, that is unlocking kind of on rushing players and breaking down the defense. And when you have those types of players, you're probably the better team. Um, so it could be simp- as simple as that. It, it, there might be no causality at all. It might be all something that is descriptive about the two teams playing. Um, that said, uh, it's a real stat, so something you could look at is a team that's attempting more through balls than their opponent, and that might tell you something about the quality of that team. So I uh, just thought it was interesting uh, to point out. Now, just just to complete that picture, draws actually don't change. Um, the, the percentage of draws don't change. So really... Uh, it's a swap between the winners and the losers. So uh, if the home team, which has a 56% chance of winning, loses the through ball attempt battle, their winning percentage drops to 43%. So um, it's kind of it's a pretty meaningful stat for something that happens so infrequently. Absolutely. I guess, um, yeah, looking at it, it just it, it's kind of something that, that has fascinated me just because you see when they work, they, they tend to create a very, very high leverage opportunity, like once you get in behind the defense. And so uh, it's just interesting to me to see 
that they aren't attempted is even as often as I thought they would. Like when you get these big number 10 guys that you're paying a lot of money to, uh, I think the expectation sometimes is that playmaker is the guy that makes these passes and kind of puts these through these spaces. So I don't know. Uh, it, it I, I would be one thing I didn't do that I wish I had is kind of maybe look at other leagues and see what kind of rates that they have as well. Uh, I, I wonder if like the more, the higher up in league quality you get, if you see more of them or uh, if it's just not something you get to try very often, but they're so noticeable when they do occur that you kind of have like a certain kind of confirmation bias or a spotlight bias on it. But anyway, that's, I think it's funny. I think it's funny how your FIFA experience uh, has gotten (laughs) you, has gotten you interested in through ball. Yeah. It's uh, it's true though. The why is, is a critical pass. When you get to the final third, you're always looking to make that pass. Yeah. But apparently uh, at least major league soccer players are not looking to make that pass. that Yeah. I, uh, whenever I play with major league soccer teams on FIFA, I'm going to stop doing it. Let's just, <laughs> just see what happens. See yeah. what happens. Um, all right. That's about all I can think of on three balls. Uh, no one really credited with the, uh, interesting stat of the week this week. Uh, that was kind of me and Jay working on that one. So, uh, if you do find one out there listeners and you want to send it into us, please, please do so. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we did hear from a listener. Uh, we asked for questions and, and we got one back and it's sort of a sad question and a, um, a really basic one uh, that, that <laughs> leaves a lot of room for interpretation here. Uh, that comes from uh, at Mike Standish on Twitter, who says, Seattle are a dumpster fire. Help? Question mark. Um, yeah, they kind of are. Uh, they actually are right now winning uh, against Toronto on the road 2-1. And there's just a couple minutes left in that game. So uh, if they manage to hold on and get the three points there, I think that uh, that will ease a lot of panics and kind of kind of kind of take a lot of pressure off of some people in that organization. But um, that being said, the the start has, regardless of what happens tonight, the start has been pretty awful. And uh, do you have uh, kind of any, any insight onto this, Jared? Yeah. So, you know, as, as not a Sounders fan, I don't share the same level of uh, fear that I guess the Sounders fans are feeling causing Lagerway to come out and talk about, Spending money, etc. So clearly, things are clearly people are rattled. But I but I think feel like people have short memories because this is exactly the start they had last year, and they ended up in the MLS Cup. So, um, so I think I think there's probably an awareness that things might turn around naturally, but I'm sure people just want to see it happen, and and maybe tonight's performance will um, will change that. But let me uh, let me walk through the way I see Seattle from a from a numbers point of view. So first first of all, defensively, they're they look pretty solid, right? So nine goals in seven games leading up to that one. If they give up another one, still ten goals in eight games is 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 top of the league from a from a rate perspective. And their nine expected nine point nine expected goals against going into this game, you know, shows that they're not particularly lucky. They're playing solid D. So defense is not the issue. I think everybody knows that. If you go to if you go to the offensive side of the ball, they're averaging fourteen, uh, a little over fourteen and a half shots. Per game, which is actually good for ninth in the league, so they're creating shots, uh, and they actually actually have a good uh, a TSR. So they're one of the top teams in the league as far as shot differential. Um, one of their issues, though, is that you know, a stat I like to do is to take expected goals and divide it by the actual shots taken. So you get sort of an expected finishing rate. And what that tells you is basically the level of difficulty of the shots, right? So 
if you had expected if you had a, like a 0.2 uh, expected finishing rate, then that means you're taking really high quality shots. And if you have like a 0.05, you're taking really really difficult shots on average. And actually, Seattle here is struggling. They're they were ranked they're ranked 18th. So even though they're getting a decent amount of shots, top half of the league, they're near the bottom in the quality of those shots. So that's part of their problem. Um, that said, they're still not finishing them. And as you look down, they only have five goals out of an expected 10.6. If you, if you look down the list of the players, it's kind of – there's not one player that's struggling. Will Bruin was a little bit more than a goal behind expected, but he scored tonight, so he's really going to be right on pace or close to it. It's, it's, it's all a half a goal here, a half a goal there as far as uh, goals versus expected goals. So no, there's not one issue. It se- seems to be team-wide. Uh, which indicates to me there might be a little bit of luck involved. So I dug a little deeper, um, and I said, okay, they've got five goals, and their expected goal is 10.6. So let's plug that into uh, the, a binomial distribution model calculator and find out the probability of scoring five goals if you were expected to get 10.6, right? And the, the answer is that uh, getting five goals or less has a 4.1% chance of happening. So low, but but if you think about it, there are 23 teams in the league, and that means on average at this point in the season, there's about one of those teams that would be shooting that poorly on average, right? And I, and I, and I kind of did a little simulation, and there's about a 76, greater than 75% chance, let's call it, of at least one team being in that situation at this point in the season. So it's not completely crazy that one team will be would be shooting this poorly, if you if you get where I'm coming from. And now it, it just happens to be Seattle, but it's it's not uncommon at all for at least one team to be shooting this poorly. Which again makes me think it's a little bit more on the unlucky side and that things will turn around eventually. Now I know you know everyone's pointing to you know, Will Bruin, you know, doesn't have the breakaway speed that they've been used to with with Jordan Morris and Martins over the last few years, um, and and that is probably true. I'm sure I'm sure that's an issue, uh, but and, you know, and they, they haven't they don't have that team that can break down the other teams for some reason. You know, I'm sure we can point to all those things, but at the end of the day, they are generating shots. They're not great shots, uh, but I think they will turn it around from an from an offensive point of view, and and get back to uh, the Seattle we know and love. The the other thing is that you know the West is pretty wide open. So if you're looking for a couple teams running, you know in the, in the East you've got NYC, NYCFC and Atlanta kind of running away with things. Uh, in the West, that's not happening. So Seattle can also rest a little bit due to the fact that there's a lot of there's a there's a long season ahead. And there's Pretty big chance to move up. Yeah, uh, and it, we can confirm now actually that Seattle does take a two-one victory over Toronto tonight. Uh, that is uh, definitely against the run of play, very MLSy um, indeed. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I, I think that there's a lot to be said for um, for good old-fashioned luck, kind of not going their way, and certainly. Uh, when it comes to kicking balls at soccer goals, there are a lot of things that can get in the way of them. And uh, sometimes the, you just don't get those breaks that you need. They don't squirm through the legs you need it to. You know, they hit the wrong side of the post. And um, another thing that I think is interesting is kind of looking at Seattle 
I'm not sure that they've gotten their their lineup right. And I know obviously injuries play a huge part in what's gone on early in the season for them and CCL and uh, even now, you know, they're playing without Roman Torres, which is their general, you know, their their, their normal starting center back. Uh, they're they're playing without Nico Ladero, who I think has probably been playing hurt this season, and I think that's the first time Seattle have actually had to really deal with a less than fit uh, Ladero. So um, it's interesting. And uh, one of the things I would have suggested even before tonight would have been using more of one of their younger players, uh, Hendwala Buana, who is a very direct kind of runner uh, who's got some pace on him, which Seattle need. And also this uh, Norwegian guy, uh, Magnus Wolf Ikrim, uh, who I, I haven't been able to really comprehend why until tonight he hasn't been able to get a start on this team, especially with Lodero out or hurting. Um, you know, he seems like a guy that, that really brings a lot and his XG plus XA per 90 is really, really solid and still amongst one of the best in the leagues if you drop it low enough to allow his, his lower threshold of minutes. Uh, but he got to play tonight, got a great assist for Will Bruin, and, and Buana actually came on and scored too uh, in his first uh, start in a while. So perhaps there are just other places they need to be looking right now, uh, uh, kind of using the whole you know, roster as opposed to just kind of trying to pick and choose these uh, guys to kind of spot in around Dempsey. So I don't know. It's, a, it's an interesting situation. I know that it's easy to panic, and, and I, I understand why. Uh, things have not looked good, and that that match against Columbus was certainly not the kind of thing that would fill any any fan with with confidence or or, or joy. Uh, but yeah, yeah, just 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 hold the line; it'll be fine. Uh, you know, I, I don't see this as a team that looks like it's there's too much talent there to miss the playoffs or anything like that. And uh, especially if they kind of re up a little bit in the summer window and pick up a dynamic striker, you know, this could be a team that once again is looking the challenge towards the end of the year. Absolutely, and yeah, a game like tonight will turn things around and I think actually start to shift the focus back to the panic that might've been happening in Toronto. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an interesting one uh, to kind of completely flip that narrative on it. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, a lot of this, obviously uh, this was a great red win for them. If they get another red win against Portland, fans are going to calm down a lot. Uh, and I think that that is always a game that kind of defies uh, trends. <laughs> like just something crazy always happens in a Seattle Portland match. So uh that that's always a chance they could go there and get a good result and I think people will get off Garth's case and Schmetzer's case and Will Bruin's case. But uh yeah. Stay the course, Mike Standish. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, all right. Uh thank you for your uh question, Mike, and any listeners out there that uh want to tweet us something, uh you want us to break down your team, uh we will do that. We can do that here. That's what that's that's one of the services we provide. Um, hit us up on Twitter at analysis evolved and, and we'll be sure to do that. Who um, else plugs Seattle Sounders numbers into the binomial distribution? Come on. Literally nobody, <laughs> literally nobody. <laughs> I'm going to go look some of those words up, uh, when I edit this tomorrow <laughs> and then I'm going to yeah act like I was completely 100% following it. Uh, that was great work. Jared. It was good, good, good deep dive research there. Um, all right. So this is what I like about bringing Jared on because I always ask Jared, do you have a deep dive topic? And he always gets one. And this week, he's going to talk about something with me. Uh, and mainly, it's going to be him talking because it's not something I totally understand myself. Uh, and, and he's a very good explainer of things. So uh, this is something you like to, to, to write about. It, it's uh, something called P-score. Uh, we have a lot of letters that stand for things and a lot of confusing terms. Can you just break down for the listeners who don't know? I obviously completely 100% know and understand. It's for the listeners only. Uh, can you break down what P score is? What's going on with this? 
Yeah, first of all, I can't stand that name, but I maybe maybe by the end of this podcast, you'll come up with a, a better name for it. All but, right, I'll, I'll work But it, I have not been able to come up with anything better. So it stands for proactivity score. That's probably a hard word to even put into some kind of score. And okay. it's also not really a score, as you'll find out. But uh, so it's, 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 it's a problematic name. But yeah, we go by P-score, and I've been working on it now for... Think about four years, and we've I've been posting it on various topics on, on mm-hmm. the site about this. Uh, so it, it's let, let me give you a little bit of a background for what I was trying to do, okay? Um, and why I'm interested in it. I was I was I read an article by uh, the great Jonathan Wilson, who was talking about whether or not te- teams can either uh, uh, possess the ball or they can. Um, stay organized. They can't do both, right? So the teams need to make the, the trade-off of uh, fixing themselves on the field in an organized way or possessing the ball and therefore sort of organizing themselves around the ball to maintain possession, right? Now, that's five years ago. You could argue Pep Guardiola is, is kind of mastering the ability to maintain position while having possession as well, which is the brilliance behind what he's doing. But in general, for most teams and most managers, you have to make this trade-off of, do I stay organized or do I, do I break down that organization um, to get possession? And he called it sort of this notion of possession or position. What are you, you going to choose? So I got really interested in that concept, and I was wondering how, from an analytical point of view, could we kind of determine if a team is picking possession over uh, over position, um, and so I started researching. Well, how do we? How do we? Um, how do people uh, calculate? You know, defensive pressure. Um, and there's some articles around there about uh, calculating passes per defensive action in sort of the attacking half of the field or, or part of the attacking uh, portion of the field. And so the idea is that the lower that number is the more frequently a team is putting pressure on defenders. They're, they're making defensive actions in a more aggressive part of the field. Um, and so I said, okay, well, that's one. We could, we could use that as kind of the, the idea of is a, is, a, uh, is a team pressing. And then the, on the offensive side, uh, teams that are in kind of position, positional forms tend to be more direct. They want to get up the field quicker, right? So they're sitting back, they're staying organized, and what they want to do when they actually do get the ball is take advantage of the space behind the team and counterattack, essentially. So you'll hear the term bunker and counter to describe these teams. But they're essentially choosing to stay organized and then using the space behind the attackers uh, in a direct way as quickly as possible to get up the field. Meanwhile, the possession teams are very happy to just pass the ball backwards, short passes, on-the-ground passes, they're just trying to maintain possession and move the ball around and eventually going to try to break down the defense that's kind of set in. So um, from an offensive point of view, you're looking for teams that are playing long balls, playing balls in the air, uh, the ball's getting kicked out of bounds quite a bit, uh, there's very few passes per, for possession, etc. So that would be more of the direct team, that would be more of the uh, position-oriented team. And then the possession-oriented team is going to be short, backwards, on the ground passes, uh, you know, also with a high possession rate. So, yep, yep, that would be one of them. 
Yeah, you know, Toronto actually, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of looking at the chart right here. Toronto actually sits a little deeper than most than you would expect uh, defensively. So yeah, they're a little bit more. They're interested in possession than shorter passes um, because they have guys like Giovinco and Altidore that can break down defenses. Um, but um, they are also, um, you know, not as pressure oriented. So they're not as as desperate to get the ball back, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So that, so that they press, you know, I've noticed they've been pressing a little bit more this year, certainly a little bit higher up the pitch than they typically do. But they're actually not one of the more pressure-oriented teams. Um, you know, actually the, the two most, uh, you know, proactive. So, so then what I do, uh, just to complete the thought, is I, we map the, the teams um, with the amount, the, the level of their direct passing versus their indirect passing and their high press versus low press. Okay, and so basically what you have is teams tend to group in two areas, right? So they're direct with low pressure or they're indirect with high pressure with their passes. Uh, so, the, so the indirect and high pressure would be your possession teams and your, uh, your direct and low pressure teams would be your kind of reactive or position teams. Some people will call that negative soccer. So, you know, gets a lot of negative... Uh, vibe when you start talking about this type of play. but um, And so as I'm looking at the, the chart in front of me, the low-pressure direct teams or the, the reactive teams, the position-oriented teams, whichever you know label you want to give them, that's Colorado, Vancouver, D.C. United, Montreal, San Jose, and surprisingly, the Timbers this year. So th those are the six, and I don't think those names really surprise anybody. Uh, on the on the possession oriented teams, you've got uh, Sporting KC, New York City FC, Crew, Columbus Crew, and Atlanta. Doesn't really surprise anybody. Uh, Toronto and Philadelphia are also interested in possession, but they their press is a lot lower, so they actually sit in kind of like that upper upper right quadrant, kind of by themselves, in that they're low pressure, but also very interested in a possession oriented style. Um, one thing that's really interesting is is the New York Red Bulls because I've been doing this for the last four years and they're always kind of a high press possession oriented team. But over the last two seasons, they've made that high, they've maintained that high press philosophy, but they've become much more direct, uh, you know, in a way that's kind of what I don't want to give them too much credit in a way. That's kind of what uh, Pep has been doing in man city is, is pressing and then attacking quickly. Um, at the same time, which is hard to do. It's very demanding. But that seems to be where New York is trying to go. And they completely stand in an island as far as where they sit on this grid. I'm not really surprised by that. That's really interesting to hear that because I think one of the things that Jesse Marsh and, and Ali Curtis and like, you know, I, I think that one of the things that they kind of, we see them kind of go after a certain player and we're always like, that's interesting. Like, I wonder why they were so interested in Carlos Rivas. I wonder why they were so interested, you know, in, in such and such. And like, how could they get rid of Dax McCarty? And it seems like they're very, one of the more system oriented, like teams. Uh, and so I'm not surprised to hear that he's kind of doing something on an island. Uh, and I think that's why the reason they're able to be so as successful as they are with, you know, as low of a payroll as they have. Yeah. And they have been doing that, 
the high press system for a number of years now, so they're so they're good at it. They're used to it. Uh, it, it feels fully implemented. What's different about this year is how direct they're playing uh, when they get the ball, uh, which is which is interesting. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about Peace Corps. That's the idea. It's the, it's it's meant to be keep it really simple. You know, map it on a two by two so that can, people can visualize it and understand it, um, and just start the conversation about how we might analytically measure kind of a tactical orientation of a team at a high level. I like it. It makes sense. And I even like Peace Corps. <laughs> oh, really? You didn't come up with anything better? No, I'll, I'll workshop it later. We'll see if we can do it. But yeah. uh, I'm pretty fun of Peace Corps already. Uh, proactivity <laughs> score. Yeah, uh, that works. So, a, little geek, a little geeky. Yeah, so uh, where was uh, where is LAFC on this chart? I was curious about that. This new you know, team. Yeah, new team. In. So I didn't mention a lot of teams when I walked through the grid, and that's because there's a bunch that are right in the middle, uh, huh. and they're kind of in this glob of teams. And you know what, what's interesting about LA, LAFC is that um, they had, at the time I, I did this particular calculation, they had only one home game. So and what you'll see as you, if you do this for a while is that teams do shift styles. Obviously, they're a little bit more reactive and negative when they're on the road, and they're a little bit more aggressive in front of the home crowd. And so you'll see they kind of shift across the axis. But so I'm I'm guessing LAFC will actually shift to a much more proactive team as the season goes on and their schedule gets more balanced. But right now, so so for the fact that they've played pretty much all road games, they're the fact that they're in the middle indicates to me that they'll move kind of to a more possession-oriented style. You said earlier, we discovered in our side of the week, you know, they are a very, uh, they are the leaders in, in through balls. Uh, so that, that does show like uh, some quick attacks and some desire to get things done. Uh, yeah, that's an interesting concept. I like that a lot. I, I would really be curious more to see a breakdown of the split of home and away on teams and kind of see like where they sit. It's something that's always fascinated me, just to see how teams that just kind of completely change when they're on the road, and they do it from the opening whistle. Like, it's not something they kind of retreat into. It's like a set plan. Yeah, it's fun. It, it, it is interesting. Um, and that's one of the challenges of, of just presenting it in a, on a two-by-two at, at a season level is you lose some nuance of how teams change home and away and what happens when game states occur. So, so – if if a team was involved, it's early in the season. So if a team was involved in say two red card games, you know this could that could really skew exactly where they sit on the map. Uh, so you have to take some of this with a grain of salt that over time they're going to kind of migrate to their to their proper proper place. Like I was looking at um, last week's game, Seattle against Columbus, which you, which you spoke about, and it was a zero zero game. And if you looked at this grid, you know the crew sit a little bit deeper than Seattle but they're much more possession-oriented. So I would have guessed probably something like a 50-50 possession game. You know, it would have been a pretty balanced game ball-wise. Like, you know, Seattle would have tried to press a little bit more, but would have been more direct. So uh, might have evened out. They might have had a little bit of an advantage when they were home. But there's a red card now from Santos in the 15th minute, and now Columbus goes completely negative. Um, they actually had two actions in the deep in, in the attacking defensive action sorry in the attacking half in the first 15 minutes and then zero the rest of the game so they sat back completely uh they only had 35 percent possession the whole game 
Seattle had 520 passes in the attacking half. So just, I mean, I'm, I'm actually pretty imple- impressed by Columbus's tactical, tactical flexibility in that case. Uh, they went a man down, and they bunkered in, and they got the result. It's a pretty impressive outcome. I know Seattle fans were were bummed about it, but at the other on the flip side, it was a pretty strong defensive effort by Columbus. Oh, absolutely, and, and also, you know, I think it it could be said that this is a situation where Seattle uh, really helped Columbus out in that uh, front too by just kind of repeatedly throwing. Like I think they had forty five crosses in that game, which is, I mean, I don't. That's too many crosses. I'll just go ahead. Yeah, but say like as a blanket term, like forty five is too many crosses. Um, And you know when you're kind of when you're trying to pack the box like Columbus was, and like you're really like you're not making them move very much. You're not asking their defenders to chase players. You're not asking them to react to things a lot. They can just kind of stand in front of the goal and kind of just mark Rule Bruin out of the game, Um, and that certainly helped as well. Uh, It's interesting to see. I think that that when you look at We've seen so many red card games this year. We see a lot, a lot of red card games in Major League Soccer. We just there's a lot of red cards in these games, and it's interesting to kind of just see how some teams completely kind of crumple. Some teams seem to just. Uh, we watched Atlanta, uh, you know, when they went down a man against Minnesota uh, on the road, and it was it was crazy to watch this Atlanta team not possess the ball in the attacking third, just just kind of sit back and kind of be forced to. Uh, allow the game to be reactive to them, and I, I don't know. It was a, it, it is an interesting situation, and one that we kind of keep uh, keep looking at. That's another split I'd like to see. It's just like exactly how these teams switch when they're kind of faced with this situation. Yeah, I think um, eventually we'll, we'll we'll break out the peace score to that level. I, I did it a couple of years ago, and it and it it, it was fascinating because some teams don't change at all. Uh, I recall like FC Dallas played the same way home away, regardless of game state, they just played a specific style and, and other teams were extremely variable, you know, in certain situations, they would completely change up tactics. So you do see differences in how teams react to, to, to different game states and whether or not they're home or away. All right. That was a great deep dive. I'm going to read all the Peace Corps articles now with a newer understanding, a better understanding of what's happening. Um, we've reached that part in the show where we go back and do some game reviews. Uh, you know, we had games tonight, uh, which we'll, we'll kind of get to here in a second, uh, one of which just kicked off, I believe. Uh, but I, there were some interesting games this weekend I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about. Uh, first one, uh, Montreal uh, for New England 2. We mentioned the glut of through balls and how unusual that is um this is one of the games where you just kind of shake your head and go major league soccer is major league soccer new england's a team that was very much on the up and up uh thus far in the season and just got the pants knocked off them by montreal of all teams a team that was very very low uh piotti one goal and three assists um probably won't win player of the week because it'll probably go to an atlanta player but i don't uh i don't know why (laughs) it's one of the best performances we've seen this year by an individual it's just when you think that Brad Friedel's got New England playing exceptional defense, they get four put up on them. I mean, I, yeah, to your point, you just don't really know what's going to happen one week to the next. Uh, moving along the way there, we saw Minnesota win a game, one nothing over Vancouver. Uh, Vancouver, very, um, I thought they played pretty well on all things said, you know, all things considered. Uh, 
Minnesota, you know, generated one expected goal, got one expected or got one actual goal. Uh, you know, Minnesota or Vancouver uh, closer to two. I think it was like one point seven five. Um, and and don't look now, but Minnesota United uh, heading into tonight's action was on a uh, in a playoff spot based on points per game. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love those loons. And it was nice to see Ibarra uh, get a goal. Uh, I think Darwin Quintero has been a very, very good signing for them, and it's nice to kind of see that quality. Um, you kind of wonder what happens to this lineup when Christian Ramirez gets healthy again. Um, you know, they made a trade, got rid of one of their uh, wingers, one of the ones I really liked, actually, Sam Nicholson, uh, now moved out to Colorado uh, to kind of shore up their defense a little bit. There's just still a lot of question marks about that team, especially in the back line. And um, it, it's... Uh, I have no idea which which way the season's going to break for them, but but you know after kind of a rough start last year, uh, I'm hoping for the best for them. Uh, okay, uh, moving on, we go to uh, Los Angeles Football Club uh, hosting Dallas. Los Angeles won. FC Dallas won. FC Dallas uh, not putting together a lot of chances. 0.77 expected goals. Uh, they do get the one, a rather low leverage chance from Max Arudi, uh, who does seem to score that goal uh, a bit. He's got those uh, that long range sights on. It's really, really nice to see. Uh, LAFC did well, uh, you know, doubled the, the XG uh, at home as they should. 1.42 for them. Um, just one of those games where they, they didn't quite maybe get the result that they deserved, but, but still uh, probably the standout team in the West right now. Yeah, I think this is one of those examples where where P-score kind of gives you some interesting insight. You know, we just talked about LAFC being a little bit more possession-oriented. We know FC Dallas tends to be on the more reactive side. And and sure enough, LAFC has 64% possession in this game. Uh, they get the majority of the shots, but, the, but FC Dallas, who knows how to get really good shots on the counter, actually the shots on target was relatively even. And so... You know your expected goals was also, uh, you know, pretty close. So, um, you know, LAFC did have the advantage there, but you know, a one-one draw wasn't completely out of line, and this just shows the two tactical uh, approaches in this game. Uh, another big game this week, uh, very surprising result, probably the most surprising, even more so than the the Montreal win is uh, Rebels New York four NYC FC zero. Uh, and not just this wasn't a game that was a flattering scoreline for Red Bulls. Like this was a game they they very much dominated. They very much were in control of. One point eight three expected goals for them. New York City Football Club not even able to muster a single expected goal. I haven't looked, but I'm pretty sure that's probably the first time that's happened this year. Um, it's it's interesting, and this is kind of what we were talking about with Seattle Portland uh, earlier. That that these games, these big rivalry derby, whatever you want to call them, games they tend to kind of defy trends a little bit and kind of show that anybody that wants to show up that day can, can get, can make something happen. Yeah. I, I was fortunate enough to watch this game and it was, I was disappointed. Obviously I thought I would see a better game, but what you saw was New York showing that they were for real in the East and they were going to be a serious contender for sure. If they can perform like this, I mean, New York city football club with one shot on target uh, is, just pathetic, but it was it was really more about a great performance by New York. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So uh, I think you know New York City will be fine uh, going forward. But uh, just a reminder that they are uh, not the only team in that area. 
Yeah, uh, this is their this is their second clunker, right? I mean, they had the clunker against Portland. Other Portland. than that, they've been they've been outstanding, but they have this ability to just kind of not show up. Yeah, it's. I feel like you kind of they get they like to build out of the back, and sometimes that works. And when it works, they're very very hard to beat. And when it doesn't work, this is what happens. And uh, so far, you know, every time that they've been rolling that dice, it's been coming up good for the most part. So uh, it's one of the things about VRA system, and he's one of the you know, first people that will tell you that they're going to play that way regardless. Um, actually, where do they wind up on the Peace Corps? <laughs> Where's that? Uh, NYCFC. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're one of the more proactive teams for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. High pressure and, and possession-oriented. Play out of the back. Play out of the back. Yeah. Uh, Toronto defeats Philadelphia 3 to nothing. This was a rather... I don't know what to say about Philadelphia anymore. Um, <laughs> I know you're a Philadelphia fan. Maybe we can just talk about Philadelphia for a second. What is going what on with Philadelphia? What is going on with Philadelphia? You go out, you get David to come, you get a new number 10. You got a great, uh, you know, striker and CJ Sapong. You got this exciting young back line. You go to Toronto. It's not an easy place to get a result. You get 0.33 expected goals. You lose 3 nothing, But they're just losing... Basically everywhere. Like, what's what's going on with Philadelphia? Yeah, they're not competitive. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what to say. I mean, I watched some of the Columbus game tonight where they lost one nothing. They've now in those last two games they've they've allowed thirty shots and taken ten. So it's something like that. It's just they're they're getting blown out of the water. They don't look interested. It's really hard to tell what's going on. They uh, watching the Union over the years. They have really struggled with from an identity point of view. So when we talk when we talk about tactics they're they're one of those teams that always kind of is a glob in the middle that's not showing any clear identity. Um, and they just have struggled I think to figure that out. I think they they started they tried to be a possession oriented team this year. Uh, I don't think that works for them on the road. They're just not they don't have enough talent. And so they're they look lost. Like, oh, we're trying to possess the ball except we can't get it. So what do we do? Um, now and and this is the kind of performance you forget. I haven't been on Twitter yet to see what the reaction are, but I'm sure it's ugly. Yeah, yeah, I was. It's, it's not great. Um, the uh, one thing uh, me and Harrison kind of noticed when we were doing the load expectations for the ASA site, uh, which shows the best high leverage opportunities uh, that don't result in goals, is that CJ Sapong is the king of that column. He's there almost every week. He and had another. You know, if anybody was watching the game, he had another great pass from Madunyanin, uh, and he kind of put a one-timer on goal, and it, uh, you know, it was a great save, save by Stefan. I don't know if it was a great save. It was just unfortunate that he couldn't kick it in a slightly different place, I guess. Yeah. Uh, or, or, or make a smarter or made it make a smarter shot on the ball. It just it wasn't dynamic enough, and they had a shot to, to pull away a tie at the end, and they, they blew it. So wow. there might be yet another one of those uh, shots you look at. But hey, they're playing their kids. We like that. We like to see kids play. Yeah, the kids are actually playing pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> not their problem. Things. That's not their issue at all. Uh, all right, moving on. Uh, Kansas City won Colorado 0. Uh, this was a rather dull game. Uh, you know, one of the things, it was very, very dominant from from Colorado. They actually put up a lot of expected goals. Uh 3.59, uh, only scoring one. Uh, 
Salloway tapping home. Kyrie Shelton's still looking for that first goal, but I think being a really, really good forward for them uh, in every way that isn't goal scoring. And I know that doesn't impress a lot of fans uh, when your striker isn't scoring, but he's doing a lot. He's, he's uh, uh, you know, putting in the hard work. Uh, I'm sure he'll be rewarded and they'll like him. Colorado just 0.53. I think all of them came from that one Dominique Baji effort, which I can't believe how he missed. Um, and uh, yeah, just generally Colorado on the road isn't, always a great uh it's not something i'd ever bet on yeah this is this is another one of those uh this is a good one for p score because you know sporting kc is one of the more proactive teams in the league and colorado is one of the more reactive and it kind of plays out exactly how you would think 59 percent possession for sporting kc um i think we talked about last week you know if, if you're playing that kind of bunker in and you give up that goal um especially in the 16th minute, it's, it's really hard. Now you've got to change your style. You've got to come out uh, in a way. Colorado's lucky they didn't give up more. They obviously had high expected goals against, uh, so they got a little bit lucky they didn't give up more. But it, it becomes really difficult to play that way, especially on the road when you give yeah. up that early goal. Yeah, and a lot of teams that do this don't even really attempt to change after they give up that goal, and it's, it, it, it kind of shows uh, in the final score. And it looks like Colorado didn't create much of anything at all there either. No. Um, all right. Uh, San Jose zero, Portland one. Uh, Portland with exactly one point oh two expected goals and one goal. Uh, nice when it lines up like that. Uh, San Jose one point seven two expected goals. They did not get on the board at home. This one won very late by a uh, just a moment of individual uh, skill from Diego Valeri, just putting in a nice free kick. Um, that's hard. Those are hard things to defend against because you can't. Uh, there's not much you can do when something like that happens. Uh, Good result for Portland, who uh, have struggled on the road in recent years. Uh, and uh, San Jose I, is a team that I always am interested in at the beginning of the season, and then by like nine games in, I'm not paying attention anymore. <laughs> I kind of feel no. like this is this what's happening again. Uh, I don't know what they're doing, uh, but they're not doing it well. No, yeah, this is one of those games where, uh, you know, there's probably a handful of these games throughout the year where your difference maker kind of wins you a game you otherwise wouldn't have won. Uh, and, and, you, and those points really add up and, and why a Valeria is so valuable and in the MVP race, it's because they just turn a game around, a game that you should have gotten a point or maybe even lost, you, you get the W because of that player. Yep. Uh, Orlando City took on Salt Lake on our Sunday game, and they won 3-2-1. Salt Lake actually went out uh, on the lead early. Lovely finish from Corey Baird. Uh, and then Orlando City just kind of came roaring back and uh, put three in. That is six wins in a row for Orlando City. And a lot of consternation on Twitter as they feel they don't get the respect that they deserve. Uh, <laughs> uh, I looked a little bit uh, into this, and you can read uh, that. It's up today on the Expected Narratives column. Uh, you know, six wins in a row is very good. I don't care who you play. I don't care what the extenuating circumstances of it are. If you offer any team 18 points from six games, they're going to take it. And so all credit to Orlando for that. I think this is the best Orlando team we've ever seen. Uh, you know, that being said, if we do look at those circumstances a bit more closely, we see a 4-3 win to Red Bulls, who were, you know, still in CCL at that point and, and playing a very much a second-string team. You know, we've got wins on the road, which are always great, but Colorado and Philly, which aren't, you know, strong teams. Um you know, they needed uh, a lot of luck and a really bad penalty call to go their way to get that win against Portland at home, but they're still conceding a lot of goals, is I think the main concern. 
Yeah, I think that's right. I think um, there's concern there. That I mean, great. Maybe they are a playoff team. That would be a great. That would be a great thing for Orlando City. I think when you're talking about they've won six straight, but do I put them with Atlanta, NYCFC, New York Red Bulls? I don't think you can yet. And I think that's that's where the consternation from the Orlando fans are. They want to be in that upper echelon after six wins. And I think most people are a little more level-headed at this point. Well, they've got. Atlanta and Toronto coming up. So if they want to be there, this is this is a perfect opportunity to show it. Yeah, if they get those two wins, then the yeah, uh, I'll welcome you to the top fold for a little bit on a probationary basis at least. Uh, one of our more exciting games, I thought this week, Houston wins three two over the Los Angeles Galaxy. Uh, late goal from Mimo Rodriguez, uh, two point eight seven xg for Houston, two point five nine for LA. Very close game. Uh, Romel Kyoto, a guy that kind of is only playing, really, because of Andrew Wenger needing to be moved back to kind of cover at right back, has become a very dangerous player, and he's very high up in our uh, XG plus XA uh, week after week. Uh, X-Union player, yep. (laughs) No no doubt he's doing well now. Yeah, that's just the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Yeah, I'm really I'm waiting for Houston to make their move. You know, they were they were a really interesting team last year. Uh, this is a big win for them uh, to, to come away with this win and get kind of moving towards the top of the table where we, I think they'll get, but uh, they just yeah. haven't quite been there yet. Yeah, uh, certainly they are uh, possessing of two very very good talents in, in Kyoto and uh, Elise is still um, you know it's. Uh, it's Almiron if you leave the penalties in, but if you take him out, it's it's at least by a long shot by being just this this goal, this expected goal and expected assist machine. So uh, they they definitely have a very high XG, and they they really should be a lot higher in the standings than where they are right now. Yeah, I mean they're they're third. Uh, they're, I'm sorry, they're second in the West in goal differentials. So yeah, you know, presumably they'll they'll get moving in that direction. Yeah. Uh, then we finished up with uh, Atlanta two, Chicago one. Uh, Atlanta getting it done on the road which is uh, something that uh, I don't think anyone would have said that they can't do. It's just something that they haven't had to do a lot. They've played most of their games at home this year, so that is a good result for those uh, folks still chasing the title. Uh, and we'll just slide that right on into tonight where uh, they do take a loss at home. And this has been a very MLS night so far. Sporting KC 2, Atlanta nothing. Um, I did not see this game. Uh, I know that Brad Guzan got sent off early. Is that right? Yep, that's right. So that, that changed the game. It's- as soon as that happened, uh, Sporting KC was really on the ball. Uh, Shallowy got another goal, uh, broke kind of broke the seal there. It, it got opened it up, and then they, they sort of picked up a late kind of counterattack goal uh, once once Atlanta was desperate to score. So uh, still still a pretty entertaining game. If you look at Atlanta, I mean the statistics. Uh, I know we don't have the expected goals numbers yet, but Atlanta's most likely going to win the expected goals battle here, despite being a man down for most of the game. So they, they still put on a pretty uh, uh, impressive offensive performance, but just couldn't uh, kind of break through tonight. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you're going to lose. I know it's, it's not a usual occurrence for Atlanta fans, but, but, but it's okay. It's okay. You guys will get through it. Uh, we already discussed Columbus won Philadelphia nothing. Jossie Zarde is con- uh, continuing his good form there, uh, adding his six of the season. We've also already discussed uh, Seattle defeating Toronto FC uh, 2-1 on the road. Goals from uh, Handuela Buana, his first MLS goal ever, and Will Bruin after a lovely ball from uh, Magnus Wolfeikram, who we mentioned earlier. 
Um, you know, and that's it. Uh, oh, uh, it looks like Chicago did just take the lead over Montreal. Kevin Ellis again. It's not a guy you expect to score two games in a row, but there it is. Uh, 89th minute, yeah. There you go, Kevin Ellis. <laughs> the new goal, the new the goon golden boot leader. Uh, that's that. And LAFC uh, Minnesota is still nil-nil at the time of this recording. So we will have to wait until next week to discuss that one. Um, but that's it. We did it. Excellent. We learned about through balls. We learned about Peace Corps. We learned about Seattle. We learned about how sad it is to be a Philadelphia Union fan. We learned all these things. Uh, I can't thank you enough again, Jared, for coming on. Uh, it has been an absolute pleasure. Uh, thank you for filling in for Harrison these last two weeks. Harrison will be back next week. Uh, but you know what? We're going to have Jared back sometime soon. I believe it. If that's okay for sure. with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's been fun. Thanks, Ian. Teach us some things. Uh, you can find Jared on Twitter at Jared E. Young. Uh, J-A-R-E-D-E Young um, You can find me uh, on Twitter at a handle for Ian You can find uh, me on the weekends at Total MLS where I do uh, gifts and commentary during match days uh, Please follow uh, the American Soccer Analysis on Twitter at Analysis Evolved and visit the website www.americansocceranalysis.com uh, We've got a lot of weekly features going up now that's really great Good content, uh, lowered expectations uh, by Harrison, expected narratives by me, setting the table by Eric Walcott. Um, got some chalk talk occasionally from Jason Poon. Always good stuff there too. So uh, please do check that out. Uh, keep uh, keep your eyes on that page. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Until then, enjoy the soccer. Everybody was so nice there There were lots of heavy things that stayed in place I'm really getting so adept at preventing my own happiness. Complacency breeds latency, and that space it sits deep in my chest. And the thing that beats beneath your breast has been at rest. But I try my best to see how close I can get to it. Cause I get productive when I get upset. Hey.
I act like Harry Potter, but you're Voldemort. I don't care what you said, you didn't mean it like I did, don't even start.